Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Mike Massey, if you don't know me. Um, we are in a series right now called Focus. And um, the gist of the series is living in this world that we're living in, to, to maintain, to hold on to our focus as followers of Jesus Christ, that there are so many things that will distract and pull and pull our attention and pull our gaze, but to maintain our focus and our calling as we live in this world. And so it's made me think a lot about or look at the lives. I read this morning or talked about Acts chapter 4, and my wife's been talking a lot about Acts chapter 2. And, and so it's made me think a lot lately about the lives of the early church and how they lived in a sense of focus, even in the midst of persecution, that looking at their lives of the early church, that they faced persecution, suffering, and yet they were uncompromising, not perfect, but uncompromising in their faith. They were willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. They faced lion's dens, burning alive, being hunted down. Some say others were crucified upside down. They were stoned to death, sawn in two. I could go on and on and on, all because they simply believed and professed that Jesus was the Christ fully God, fully man, the Son of God, that he died on a cross, that he conquered death and rose from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father forever and ever in heaven. And as a result, we, his kids, are free. And we're free to live in risk for him. They were risky. They were bold. They were unapologetic about this truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it got me thinking as we talk about living focused. I want to ask a question, and it's not to bring any condemnation, but today in 2021, are we Christians, are we followers of Jesus, believers, believers of Jesus, whatever word you want to use for us, are we known as the riskiest, boldest people you know? Let's take it closer. No condemnation. Restoration. Those of us in this room are we known for being risky, bold, and unapologetic in our love of Jesus Christ? And I mean more than just like inviting someone to a church occasionally. I mean like are we bold, risky, unapologetic in our faith and our love of Jesus Christ that it radiates off everything we do and it consumes and moves into every realm of our influence and our sphere of influence. And let's take it closer. Again, no condemnation. Am I... Let's just, no navel-gazing, but just take a moment of inward reflection. God, am I living a risky, bold, unapologetic faith? It's so interesting to me that we, the beautiful bride, the church, the ecclesia, and by the way, ecclesia means called out ones or sent ones, we often live relatively safe and very comfortable lives. Or we often live with a fear of risk or failure, especially when it comes to Jesus and our faith, his kingdom, and his love. It's strange. It's strange that we live often risk-averse lives as, as followers of Jesus, especially based on what we profess is true. Think about some of the things I just said. Think about what is true that we as believers profess is true about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We claim that Jesus died on a cross, that he rose from the grave, that he defeated Satan and death once and for all, that death has lost its sting, that one day he will return and take us up with him and reign with him for eternity, that we will 
will live forever and ever, ever, where there is no more sickness, no more disease, no more sadness, no more sin, that we will dwell with him forever. We claim that he is sovereign. We are his kids. And we claim more that his spirit, the spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. And that we would do greater things than Jesus did because he said we would do them. That we have authority and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to bring heaven onto earth and advance the kingdom and rescue the death and dying. That's what we claim. Look at what the Mark Gospel Great Commission says. These signs will accompany those who believe. I didn't write this. This was written by Mark about what Jesus said. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak in new tongues. In my name, they will pick up serpents with their hands. In my name, they will drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them. In my name, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Oh my goodness, if, if that is true and we believe it, then why would we in this room live a risk-averse life? If anyone on the planet, if anyone in Virginia, if anyone in Salem, Virginia, on this planet should live a passionate, purpose-driven, risk-filled, bold life for this gospel of Jesus Christ, it ought to be us, the rescued bride, the delivered bride of Jesus. We, the ecclesia, ought to be known everywhere we go and in everything we do as radical revolutionaries that take great risk for this liberating cause of Jesus Christ. I've come to the conclusion in my study of Scripture and in looking at my own life that the reason why we do not often live risk-filled lives, the reason we often live risk-averse lives is because we misunderstand or do not have a proper vision of our time here on this earth. We give it way too much weight. Look at what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote about our time on this earth. He says, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, for you are just a vapor. Just say for a moment, I'm just a vapor. I didn't hear you. I'm just a vapor. I'm you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and also do this or that. Here is the very hard, hard truth. Everything, and I mean everything, with no exceptions that we stress about and live in fear about is just a vapor. It is here for a moment and gone in a second, poof. What about my 401k? Vapor. What about what's going to happen with this presidency? Vapor. What's going to happen in a year? Vapor. What's going to happen with my school situation? Vapor. What's going to happen? When are the masks going to go away? Vapor. What's... That smells pretty good. And the point of that is our lives are a vapor that either can smell like the aroma of Christ or bring death where it goes. But everything, and I mean everything, is just a vapor. And even the hard things, even the really, really hard things, my wife has cancer, vapor. 
My child is not following Jesus. Vapor, and I'm not suggesting those aren't very important things, but they are just a vapor. And the truth is, our lives are a vapor, but they are a very important vapor. Your life is a very important vapor because what you do with your vapor can determine ours and others' eternity, and our vapor mysteriously has an impact on eternity. You see, you and I, we've got to live and risk in the here and now with an eye toward eternity. We've got to live in light of eternity if we want to be effective as the church. There's a speaker by the name of Francis Chan. Some of you have maybe heard of him. He did this example one time where he walked around his church with this rope in his hands, and he walked around the sanctuary about six times, and this rope was a very long rope, and he covered the sanctuary about six times, and then he stood at the very end at the podium with the end of the rope, and on the end of the rope was a red piece of duct tape on the very end of the rope, and it was just that much of the rope, and he said, this is my life in light of all eternity. I've got to have an understanding that my life matters. It's a vapor that matters, but I've got to live in light of eternity. You see, it's urgent that we live with an eternal perspective so that we can maximize this vapor that we are on this earth. And in order to live a risk-filled life for Jesus, we've got to grasp, and here's the point of my talk, we are not a product of time, we are a product of eternity. You and I are not a product of time, we are a product of eternity. We've got to get our minds around this. See if you can just grasp this and get your brain around this just for a second. God has plucked you out of eternity and positioned you in this specific moment in time. He's gifted you with unique gifts and talents in this moment of time, and he's given you those gifts and talents uniquely given to you so that you will use your gifts and talents to serve your generation and do so in risk, in love, without fear, in order to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You remember the movie's Mission Impossible? This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. This is your and my sole mission, is to live understanding I've been plucked out of eternity and placed in this moment in time to use all my gifts and talents to advance the kingdom. It is my sole assignment. It is my sole challenge to use my vapor to advance kingdom. You and I were not positioned in this moment to live safe and acquire stuff. You're in my playing it safe serves no one and nothing because you have been positioned here for so much more. Do you believe it? Here's what I want to challenge us with today. God, the creator of the universe, the king, has uniquely positioned you, whether you're a mom, whether you're 83, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a pastor, he's positioned you and uniquely positioned you in your sphere of influence to bring solution to the world in which you live. How? How do we do that? How do I do that? Are you going to give me methods? Are you going to give me a one, two, three? No, I'm not. I'm going to do it by telling you how Jesus did it. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus gave the John's great commission. It was this bizarre experience where they were hiding in the upper room. Jesus had been crucified. They were wondering where he was, and he suddenly comes through the door. 
He just comes to the door. He vaporizes, to use the word vapor. He vaporizes in front of them. And he says these words. He says, peace be with you. And the word peace there means the authority to destroy chaos. He breathes on them. He says, here is your peace. Here is my peace that I put on you and in you, the authority to destroy chaos. And then he says these words, in the same manner that I was sent, now I am sending you to advance kingdom, to take the gospel to the, to the world. In the same, well, how was Jesus sent? He was sent in a manger. He was sent lowly. But he came understanding and living a bold, risky life, knowing that his sole mission was to be poured out like a drink offering. His sole mission on earth was to be used up, poured out on, like a drink offering because Jesus understood his very risky mission. He understood that his physical time on this earth, the 32 years, and even more importantly, the two years of his ministry was just a vapor, but that his vapor would ripple throughout eternity. Are you and I living in such a way, no condemnation, that your, that your vapor will ripple throughout eternity? Are you getting up every day thinking, I'm just a vapor, why am I living stressed? I'm just a vapor, and my vapor, if I use it towards the aroma of Christ, will ripple throughout eternity. We've got to change our vision, people. Not one of us would disagree that in this moment of time, we are living in a world that is broken, that is full of injustice and pain, and all may sometimes see hopeless. We're living in this moment. We've got a choice. We have a choice as believers. We can either get overwhelmed, bury our heads in the sand, pretend that things aren't happening, retreat back into our comfort of Christianity, and we can believe that we have some kind of supposed safety, which is just an illusion. If COVID has taught us anything, our finances, our economy is just a house of cards. So we can retreat and live like that, or we can choose to live in risk and run into the very world that Jesus died for. He doesn't want you to do anything or ask you to go anywhere that he hasn't done or gone himself or which he won't go with you. And he sends you into that world to bring light, justice, mercy, grace, and truth in love. And he sends you with kingdom solutions and kingdom answers. And he sends you with healing and freedom in the midst of this broken world and and it might mean that in the process, you get crucified. It might mean that you get rejected. It might mean that you get hated. It might mean that you get cast out. But that is what we've been called to do. And that is our mission and our purpose. Ris living a risk-averse life is contrary to your mission and your purpose on this earth. In 2012, um, Sheena had just had a full-blown uh, mastectomy, cancer. Um, and so we had, once we found out that it was not going to be kill her and we could rid herself of it, of it completely, but then there was the inconvenience of surgery and all the stuff that we went through that year. But God did a deeper thing in us, and he called us into a deeper place of risk, even in the midst of all that stuff. And so there came a time later in that year um, when recovery was happening, where I was spending my time with the Lord one day on a Tuesday, and 
And I don't say that to suggest I'm some holy man, but I, I get away with the Lord on Tuesdays just to behold and reflect him, to know him more for the sake of intimacy and nothing else. And I was with the Lord that day, and at that season in our lives, we had amassed at least what was for us, and it's all relative, we had amassed a level of a savings account that was a lot to us. And I realize what's relative, some people would say, you know, but for us, it was a lot of money at that stage in our lives. And I was sitting with the Lord, and I was just kind of saying, Lord, what's next? What do you want to do? Where do you want us to go? What do you want? How do, you know? And I felt like, I don't hear voices. I just get thoughts, feelings, impressions. And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to give your entire savings away. And I thought, Lord, you know, I, I would do that, Lord. But that wife of mine would never do that. I mean, Lord, I'll do it, but I'll go back and talk to my wife. And you know she's probably going to say that we have things we got to do. Well, you know, she's going to say we got vacations. We were looking at renovations. Lord, we got things we want to do with that money. And, and I, like I said, Lord, I would do it. But, well, of course, you know that's false. I went home, kind of like tentatively dancing around it. Hey, honey, I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe... Um, and she, without even knowing what I was going to ask, but knowing, said, are you going to say we're supposed to give away our savings? And I was like, oh, crap. Yes, yes. And so we were like, well, let's, okay, let's, this is a little scary, you know, because you keep those savings for a rainy day. You keep those savings for all the safety we think we need and the security we believe we have. And so we were like, okay, Lord, let's start to dream and let's start to think. And so we started dreaming and thinking and trying to figure out ways we could give it away anonymously and think about ways that we could do it where people wouldn't necessarily know. And we started kind of getting excited about it because God loves a cheerful giver. We can't outgive heaven. God wants radical generosity, right? So we started getting, ooh, it was fun. Well, we spent about a week and a half maybe mulling it, thinking about it. And one day I was in the shower, it was in the morning, and I just got this strong sense from the Holy Spirit that we needed to get that money out of our hands by noon. And I don't know why I had that strong sense, but I just thought, I just felt like the Lord was saying, get that money out of your hands by noon. I want you to give it away. So I finished showering, I called, hey, Sheena, and she comes in the kitchen, she, uh, the, the bathroom, and she says, we're supposed to get rid of that money today, aren't we? And I was like, yeah, we are. And I was like, woman, get out of my head. Right? So we got the money together. We went and give, I went, gave it all the places by noon that day. Boy, that was fun. Well, don't you know, by that afternoon, we got in the mail bills from cancer, bills from other stuff that we were not prepared for, that savings would cover, that came to the exact penny of what we had just given away. Well, there I was. Lord, what are you doing? We just took the logical solution for those bills to the T, to the penny, and we just gave that away. And now we've got bills to the penny that you told me to give away, Lord, and now we don't have a way to cover those bills. So now we got to figure out, am I going to take out a debt? Am I going to put it on the equity line? Am I going to put it on a credit card? Am I going to go borrow? Am I going to, and we just felt like the Lord said, be still and know that I'm the Lord. Just be still. Trust me. I've asked you to step out in this. Trust me. And we had a deadline for all those bills of the early June. It was an early June date. And so it was about a month that was going by, and we were like, okay, Lord. And so June was upon us. The next day was the day we had to have all this stuff paid. I would kind of like thought, well, maybe we can. I kind of, But the Lord just kept saying, be still, be still. And so I was sitting in a coffee shop with a young man that I was discipling, and I was, he asked me, he said, how are you doing today, Mike? And, and, you know, a lot of times the guys I sit with don't necessarily ask me because I'm the old guy, right? 
And I said, you know, not so great. I've been trying to trust the Lord, been trying to, I began to kind of share with him the story. And as I was telling the story, my phone was on the table, and I looked down because it was ringing, and it was my accountant on the phone. And I answered the phone. Now, let me just explain something to you. I've been in private practice since 1995. I've never received a refund ever in my entire life as a private practitioner. And so I see his phone. I pick it up. I say, hey, what's up? And he says, hey, Mike, I need to have your checking account routing number. And I said, oh, okay, cool. All right. He said, some money's going to be deposited into your account tonight for a refund. And I was like, oh, wow, well, that's cool. I've never gotten a refund. Is it like 50 bucks? Like, what am I getting? You know? And he says, no, Mike, we looked at a couple years, and we've given you a refund from a couple years, and he told me the number, and it was the exact amount to the penny we had given away times two. It was the exact amount we'd given away times two. I could not wait to get home and tell my wife. And I got home and I was like, you're not going to believe what God has done. We have the exact amount times two. And at first we were like, woohoo, we got our money. And then the Lord was like, give it away again. Give it away again. So not only were we able to pay off the bills, we gave it away again. Here's the point of me telling you that story. It is not to put a spotlight on us or say, oh, look at the masses and how, that's not the point. It's that when we live in risk, when we live trusting the Lord, when we step out in faith, understanding that our life is just a vapor, God says, I may not give you always what you want, but I will give you everything you need. I will provide the way. I will provide your provision. I'll provide your meals. I will take care of you and I will be with you. I'm asking you to step out and live understanding that your life is a vapor because here's the point of our lives. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom's sake that you've been set free. We've been set free to be free and living in safety is not the goal of a Christian life. Freedom is. The purpose of your life is not to arrive at death safely. The purpose of your life is to live free and unencumbered in risk for Jesus. Let us be a church, y'all. Let us be a church that truly lives and looks different, that holds out everything we are, everything we have, everything we think we possess, everything we think gives us security. Let's hold it out to be used for the kingdom, to be used up. Imagine what would happen just in Salem, Virginia, if this fellowship began to live in freedom, free from fear, living in risk and in radical love and radical generosity, using our vapor to ripple throughout eternity. Jim Rayburn, many of you guys know who he was. He was the founder of Young Life. And in 1970, he had started Young Life in 1947. And in 1970, he gave his very last sermon or talk at a dinner, and he was dying of cancer. And he was... They said, you shouldn't give the, the talk, but he's like, I have to go before these men and women. There was only 500 of them at that time. Imagine that today. There was 500 all staff people. And he said, they're losing their vision. They're losing their way. I've got to return them to the vision of why we did what we're doing and why we're supposed to be on mission, living in risk. And so this is what he said that night. He said, I've always felt a little twinge or something when I was introduced as the founder of this outfit. I am the founder of this outfit, don't get me wrong. But the reason for my embarrassment 
is that I always kind of felt like a fellow who founded something should at least know he was founding it. I didn't have the slightest idea I was founding anything. I simply woke up with my bride one day in a town where there was a school full of people who didn't have the foggiest chance to know the truth about Jesus Christ. They didn't have a chance. There wasn't anybody there that knew enough about him to tell them. And furthermore, they weren't interested in listening to anyone who sounded like someone who might be going to get around to talking about Jesus Christ. So I had a two-fold job. I hadn't ever thought about it before, but all of a sudden it came slamming home to me that people were bad off. They were way out in left field. They didn't have a chance, not for a good life, not for God's kind of life, not for the life he meant for them, unless they personally knew Jesus Christ. So I'd have to get busy and talk to them about him. The second thing was I had to get them willing to listen. He closed his talk by saying, I wish it would be said of us, especially in this room, what the folks of Thessalonica said when Paul and his cronies headed for their hometown. What are we going to do, they said. The guys who upset the world are coming here now. Well, look around you. We Christians aren't exactly upsetting the world. We're not setting things on fire. Nobody's yelling for the fire department because our rapport and our message and our determination is too hot. That's the big dream. Let's make it come true. Jesus said in Luke, risk your life and get more than you dreamed of. Play it safe and you'll end up holding the bag. Let's be men and women who understand our vapor is to be used up, poured out, wasted for the sole purpose of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's no longer live risk averse. Let's be lives of risk and boldness and unapologetic. Will you take a moment, just place your hand on your heart. Father, today we commit our lives. We commit our possessions. We commit our stuff. We commit our time. We commit it all to you, Lord, to be used up, poured out, and wasted. Lord, forgive us for thinking that our stuff is so important. Forgive us for getting so stressed out with our time and with things that we think create anxiety, Father. Lord, that we want to believe and trust that you are with us, that you go with us, you send us. You don't, go, you don't tell us to go anywhere where you won't go yourself. You don't send us anywhere that you're not with us, God. And you give us the power and the authority to go do it, Father. Lord, let us be a people who live like that. Amen.